Finally, I woke up. <laughs> I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the favorite hymns, and I just can't sing that song without getting a little teary-eyed, um, but you guys know me by now. You know I get teary-eyed pretty easy, but um, I just love that song. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Well, good morning. Smoke in the air. Just a little smoke in the air. Nothing to see here. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here with us. 
I know we have some visitors with us this morning. We have some others who are back maybe the second or third time. And so we're so thankful to have you with us. You are our guest. And if there's any way that we can help you, serve you, encourage you, pray for you, please let us know. We just want to be a blessing to you. We want you to feel welcome here. Uh, we want you to know that, that we love Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And he is our hope and our answer. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. Just clap right there. That's good. I started to cut you off. That's good. Man, worthy of, worthy of praise. Jesus is, is good. And so if this is your first time with us, Inside the Bulletin is a place for you to fill out some information about yourself. Uh, it's, it's really just one way to help me know names. I'm so bad at names. And so if you would just take a moment, fill that out. There's a box out there in the foyer. If you could just put it in the box or you can hand it to myself or Pastor BJ. He'll be out there as well. Uh, we just want to, again, know how to pray for you, know how to serve you and minister to you. Uh, I love this time of the year. Easter is right around the corner. I don't love the fact that we're going to lose an hour of sleep next week, uh, but I still love this time of the year. And one of the things that I love about this time of the year is it's a time for us to focus on our North American missions. So inside your bulletin, you had a, a little bit more information this week. You have a week of prayer guide. Now it is the Annie Armstrong. It's named after Annie Armstrong Easter offering because we usually take it up around uh, Easter time. And inside there, this thing unfolds, and it's a prayer guide for you over the next week to be praying for some of our missionaries that are serving uh, here in, in, in North America. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll have a video for you each Sunday, uh, and you'll learn a little bit more about some of our missionaries, how you can pray for them. You'll notice in our bulletin, our goal is uh, $4,500. Out in the foyer, there are envelopes that look like this. If you're going to give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, it is absolutely necessary that you use one of these envelopes. Otherwise, we'll think it's just going to the general offering. So you can put cash, you can write a check, make it out to Northside Baptist Church. Just put it in this envelope, and then you can put it out there in that box as well. One thing that I really like to encourage you to do is if you're already prepared to give today, that's awesome. But if not, grab one of these on your way out. Put it on your coffee table, your dining room table, and let it be a reminder this week to you as you and your family begin to think and talk and pray about how you can give generously and sacrificially. Uh, one of the things that I love about being a Southern Baptist is I love our desire to cooperate with one another, to take missions to the ends of the earth, including here in our own mission field in North America. So I believe we have a video. I didn't confirm. You guys are good? All right, so check out this video. And after the video, Curtis, if you'll come and lead us some more. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about people who do some of the hardest, most important work on earth. They start churches in places where people tell them, we don't need church. They provide food and shelter for families who don't even have the basics of life. They share the gospel everywhere for everyone. They are North American missionaries. It's always been hard doing what they do, but it's not always been like this past year. When the world shut down, the easy thing for them would have been to wait, hold off, or to stop. But that didn't happen, and it never will. Because for your North American missionaries, the mission always moves forward. We're still sharing the gospel. We're still impacting lives. We're still here. We never stopped. Right now, your North American missionaries are adapting. They're innovating. They're coming up with new ways to take the gospel into places it's never been before. You can do that when you have tens of thousands of people like you 
who give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Ministry costs money, and so your giving enables us to continue to spread the good news of the gospel. You see, no matter what's happening around us, when the world says stop, God always says go. That's why we're seeing new churches planted. We're seeing needs met, and we're seeing believers baptized. It's what happens when God's people give, pray, and go. Thank you for praying for your missionaries because prayer is powerful. And thank you for giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. As you do that, you provide the fuel that moves the mission forward. There's so much work to be done. Now, more than ever. It's estimated that there are 275 million lost people in North America. And so, what happens next in this story is up to you. Father God, thank you for, for sending Jesus. Thank you for the word of salvation that we will see this morning as we continue our study through the seven sayings from the cross. Thank you for the hope that we have eternal life. Thank you, God, that when we take our final breath here on earth, Lord, that we will immediately, through faith in Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through our being made right with you, Father, through Jesus, that we'll immediately brought, be brought into your presence. That's hope when we cling to that hope. But the reality is, Father, there's many people who do not know the hope that is Jesus. And therefore, we must share, we must go, we must pray, we must tell. And so, God, right now, we just lift up our missionaries here. Specifically, this month, we're going to be focused upon those who are serving in North America. So, Father, be with them, strengthen them. Help them to continue to take the gospel forth and to proclaim the gospel. And may we be united around the gospel for your glory and your honor. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship together. Thank you. 
days full of tears and worries for these times that I'm facing. But everything changes because you are here. I need the hope that is found in your presence. I can rest knowing you are near. Weak and warm with a heart that's breaking. But everything changes because you are here. I can stand in the fire. I can walk on the water. You are here, yes you are here, there's strength in the battle, there's no need for fear, you are here, yes you are here. accuser whispers in my ear oh but I keep pressing on anticipating how everything changes cause you are here I can stand in the fire I can walk on the water
excuse me. Let's stand again as we continue singing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. I have you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Luke 23 verses 39 through 43 will be our text this morning. This is the Word of the Lord beginning in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that everything you have done and said is for a purpose and it is powerful. Father, thank you that you have allowed us through the actual event of this day 2,000 plus years ago 
and the fact that it was recorded in your word. Lord, that we have this account of this criminal coming to faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that you save wretched sinners like us. Thank you for the promise that we have of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us set aside every distraction, everything that might hinder us this morning. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that is receptive and willing to receive. Father, for some, you will encourage them today. For others, it may be a word of rebuke or a word of conviction. But God, we pray you would speak. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Is there anyone here besides myself, so I'm acknowledging that I like to do this, is there anyone here who likes to people watch? Raise your hand if you like to people. All right. See, Ryan, look. I'm not the only one that likes to people watch. Ryan says I stare. I just like to people watch, right? It's, it's interesting. Now, um, how many of you, in addition to people watching, like to listen in on other people's conversations? Ah, somebody, Carter's hand went up real fast. Hey, did you raise your hand, Landon? Landon likes to listen to conversations, right? Uh, this morning, it, it's interesting sometimes to listen to people's conversations, but um, this morning, Luke invites us in to listen into a conversation between three dying men. And there's this conversation that takes place here on the cross, and we're invited to listen to what takes place. So what we did last week and we'll try to do going forward is we're going we're gonna to try to answer the question, what? What is Jesus saying? It's pretty straightforward, but, but what is he saying? And then we're going to ask the question, so what? In light of this, this statement, this passage of Scripture, what Jesus is doing here, how does that change us? How does that impact us? So, so the what? What does Jesus say? Now, before we get to his statement, we got to fill in just a little, a little bit of background, a little bit of the conversation here. So we begin in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. All right, now let's fill in a little bit more here of the story. Go back up to verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. So we know from verse 39, one of the criminals, we know from verse 32, there are two criminals. Matthew 27, verse 38 gives us a little bit more details. Then two robbers. So Matthew calls them robbers. They were robbers, criminals. Some commentaries even suggested that robbers in this day probably would have been murderers. So these are pretty wicked guys. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. So we know Jesus from Scripture would have been crucified in the middle. Matthew 27, 44 gives us a little bit more information. <clears throat> and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. That's interesting. And the robbers. So according to Luke's account, there's one that is reviling Jesus, railing against Jesus. That word rail can also mean blaspheme. But when you get the whole picture, we actually know when Jesus is nailed to the cross and these other two criminals are up there, they are both at the beginning railing against Jesus. Verse 40. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? 
Notice a couple things, and these will appear on the screen. Notice that one of these criminals begins to rebuke the other. They're both reviling Jesus. They're both going at Jesus, and at some point, while on the cross, one of them stops reviling Jesus. Also notice, but the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? One criminal starts to fear. Something begins to happen, and he begins to fear. And he says to the other one, Do you not fear God? This is fascinating to me. Both of these guys are insulting Jesus, and then suddenly one of them stops insulting, looks at the other one, and is like, dude, stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop saying this. Now, I, I like uh, Broadway plays. I like musicals. Some of you maybe like musicals as well. Ryan and I, several years ago, went to see Wicked. Uh, when we were living in Florida, we went over to Tampa, and we saw the, the Broadway play Wicked. And one of the songs uh, that they sing is a song called Defying Gravity. And in that song, Defying Gravity, if you know Wicked, you know this line. She says, something has changed within me. Something is not the same. When you look at this story, something changes. Something happens with this one criminal. Something within him changes. He's completely different all of a sudden. He goes from reviling Jesus to, in essence, repenting of his sins, to crying out to Jesus that Jesus would remember him, that Jesus would have mercy upon him. Now here's the question. Why the drastic, sudden change? I don't think we can answer that question definitively. But there's some clues that we have that maybe led to his change. Could it be when the criminals hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, one criminal, it hits him really, really hard. And all of a sudden, his heart begins to change. Could it be that as they're hanging there and, and they see the, the mocking and the laughing and they see Jesus bleeding and the fact that Jesus never gets angry, never reviles, never uses the power that he had to destroy them, could it be that suddenly his heart begins to change? Could it be as he's hanging there and he sees the sign above Jesus, right? This is the king of the Jews. And then he hears the father forgive them and he watches his behavior. That he begins to realize, oh my goodness, maybe he is the king. Maybe he is the Christ. Maybe he is the promised one that God said he would send. And his heart begins to change. All of that could have played a role in it. Here's what I do know, based upon other New Testament scriptures, the Holy Spirit was at work. The Holy Spirit is giving this man ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive, and he changes. Verse 41, he confesses a couple things that's really important. He says, and we indeed justly, right? We are suffering this condemnation justly. Why? For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He confesses two things that are really, really important here. Number one, this one criminal confessed he was a sinner. He says, look, I'm not innocent. I'm guilty. How many, how many people do you know that are sitting in prisons or that you've heard will say, I'm guilty? It's like everybody's innocent. Nobody's ever guilty of the crime they commit. But this criminal recognizes, confesses, look, we're suffering justly. We deserve this condemnation. But then he also confesses that Jesus was innocent. Look what he says. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Now, I think it's important to understand Luke is emphasizing this in the account of Jesus' death. 
One thing the Spirit of God impresses upon Luke's heart is to emphasize the fact that Jesus is innocent. And you see this. So if you go back a little bit in chapter 23, you go to verse 22, for example. This is Pilate. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no what? No guilt. No guilt deserving death. He's innocent of the charges you brought against him. You go up a little bit further. Verse 14, um, and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod. So Luke has told us in one chapter, Herod thought he was innocent. Pilate thought he was innocent. And now one criminal declares that Jesus is innocent of the charges brought against him. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying upon a cross And he is the perfect son of God. He is innocent. And then the thief says this to Jesus, verse 42. And he said, Jesus. He calls him by the name Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah or Yahweh saves. Jesus, remember me. It's as if the thief is throwing himself upon the mercy of God. How many people do you think would have remembered this thief? Not very many. He was a criminal. I mean, he was deserving of the death penalty. I wonder if the criminal, as he was being nailed to the cross, thought, man, my family's not even going to remember me fondly. So he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me. What? When you come into your kingdom. The only way you have a kingdom is if you are a king. And what was above Jesus' head? This is the king of the Jews. And so I don't know how much of the gospel this thief knew. He probably couldn't have told you about justification or sanctification. He probably didn't really even understand the entire reason Jesus was dying. But in this moment, he believed that he was a king. He believed that he was innocent. And he believed Jesus could do something. That Jesus somehow could remember him. And so in essence, he is putting his hope and his trust in Jesus, this one who was being killed for him. This one criminal recognized Jesus was a king. And so a humble request, Jesus, remember me. Like It's not give me the best seat at the table. It's just, hey, don't forget about me. And then Jesus responds, the second saying from the cross, and he said to him, truly, I say to you today. Notice that word today. That's an important word. That word today, the Greek word means the same day as the day of discourse. This very day. Not tomorrow, not next week, not five years. Today. Today what? You will be with me. With me. Listen, the criminal simply asked for a place in the future kingdom. That's all he asked for. Just remember me. Give me a place in the future kingdom. And Jesus Christ is going to give him a place in his presence that very day and forevermore. This thief got far more than he asked for. He's like, just remember me. And Jesus said, listen, today you will be with me where? In paradise. In paradise. That word paradise is a Persian word. It's often translated garden. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 2, the Apostle Paul is talking about this man who had been 
caught up into the third heaven. Now, I think most scholars believe that third man was Paul. He was just being humble about it and saying, hey, let me tell you about what I went through. So he said, right, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Right, the third heaven, we think of like the, the third heaven would be the abode of God, where the presence of God is. Caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into, you think he would say, the third heaven again, but he says he was caught up into paradise. So for Paul, paradise and the third heaven where God dwells is the same thing. So when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, he is promising to this thief that you will be with me in heaven today, this very day. I love how C.A. Spurgeon summarizes it. He says, this criminal ate breakfast with the devil, met Christ before noon, and has supper in paradise. What a day for him. So what? So what? Like, thanks, Luke. This is a really cool story. I mean, that's really awesome for this guy. And the, the words of Jesus, they're fascinating. But so what? How does this, how does this story, how does this example, this, this moment that happens in this guy's life, how does this encourage us? How does this impact us? So notice three things. Number one, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is mighty to save. Jesus Christ is mighty to save. Notice, notice that both of these criminals cry out for salvation. Both of them. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He is crying out to Jesus. They have just mocked him. Hey, right, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. I would imagine they were in a lot of pain. And so this one thief looks to Jesus and he's like, dude, if you're the Christ, if you are who you say you are, get us off of these beams. Like, deliver us from this. And he was only interested in an immediate rescue from the cross. But what he did not understand is that, yes, Jesus is mighty to save, but I said last week, that if Jesus takes himself off the cross and saves this dude in the moment, this guy still spends an eternity in hell because Jesus would have saved himself and therefore we would have all perished. The other criminal also is looking for salvation, but not immediate. He just says, look, remember me. When you get into the kingdom, remember me. He's asking to be saved from divine judgment. He just says, do you not fear God? We are under the same sentence of condemnation. So, Here's the question. Why does Jesus ignore one request and grant the other? Why does he grant the other criminal's request, remember me, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise, but from all indications, he ignores the other guy's request, and we have no indication that he will be with Jesus in paradise. What's the difference? Is the difference that Jesus is only able to save one and not the other? No. What's the difference? Here's the difference. Repentance and faith. That's what separates these two criminals. One recognizes he is under the condemnation of God. He deserves this, and he, he deserves to be judged and condemned. He recognizes he is a sinner. So he just says, remember me. And then he puts his faith in Jesus. Church, this convicted me this week. I think maybe one of the greatest examples of faith in the New Testament is this guy right here. Right here. When does he put his faith in Jesus? 
It's not after Jesus walks on the water. It's not after he feeds 5,000 plus with with a, a sack lunch. When does he put his faith in Jesus? When Jesus is a bloody mess on a cross. Does Jesus look like a king at this moment? He looks far from a king. And yet a crucified sinner trusts in a crucified Savior. This thief, through the eyes of faith, saw Jesus. In spite of the blood, in spite of the crown, in spite of the nails, he saw Jesus for who he was. The Son of God, Savior. And he said, remember me. Isaiah 53, 12 tells us that Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. He was numbered with the transgressors. He was numbered with the wretched criminals and these robbers so that you and I could be numbered with the redeemed. Church, hear me. Jesus Christ is mighty to save sinners. Amen. And you and I were those sinners. Sometimes we forget that. Can I just read 1 Corinthians Chapter 6 to you. Verses 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous, Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so you say, well, I'm not unrighteous. Well, he says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Sometimes, I think as Christians, we are guilty of thinking we are not as bad as other people. And sometimes, even as pastors, we're really good at railing on certain sins. And we specifically call out certain sins. And, and we think, well, I'm not as bad as him. Listen, it would be very easy for every single one of us to say, I'm not as bad as those criminals who hung up there next to Jesus. I'm not like them. But what does Paul say? He says, no one who is unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he begins to list sins. You know what? Every single one of us is here somewhere. And I know where we all are. We're all idolaters. I can tell you that we're all guilty of that. None of us deserves God's grace. And then he says this. And such were some of you. Church, don't forget you were just as wretched as this man. You deserved hell. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Jesus is mighty to save wretched sinners like you and me. Amen. And he saves this wretched criminal. He saves him. He is mighty to save. And right now, you, whatever your sin is, whatever you're guilty of committing, however many times, if you confess that sin, Jesus Christ can forgive you of that sin. But notice, secondly, Jesus Christ alone saves. He alone saves. The Bible is clear. You are saved by God's grace alone. You are not saved by works. You are not saved by any merit of your own. One author writes this, If you have lived a good life, you are not an inch closer to heaven than the thief who has lived a wicked life. You are saved by grace alone. This criminal is saved because of grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. 
Listen, he is not saved by works. There were no works for him to do. He was not saved by faith in Jesus plus baptism. As some denominations teach, that baptism is necessary for salvation. Listen, they didn't take this guy off the cross and baptize him really quick to put him back up on the cross. Baptism is an act of obedience. But you are not saved through Jesus plus anything. If it's Jesus plus something, you have nothing. You have no salvation. It is Jesus alone. J.C. Ryle says this thief was never baptized. He belonged to no visible church. He never received the Lord's Supper. He never did any work for Christ. He never gave money to Christ's cause, but he had faith, and so he was saved. A.W. Pink writes, what could the thief do? He could not walk in the path of righteousness, for there was a nail through either foot. He could not perform any good works, for there was a nail through either hand. He could not turn over a new leaf and live a better life, for he was dying. Listen, I think, I, believe, I hope, we all believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. But there are times in the way we talk that maybe we're not so sure of that. That we think it's really Jesus plus I've been a really good person. Or maybe some of you aren't even really worried about Jesus. You just think I've been a good person. I'm not like this criminal. But this story shows for us salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. There was nothing this guy could do at this moment to deserve this grace. It was Jesus showing him grace. Robert Stein writes, salvation is indeed by grace. There is no one so evil, there is no one so hopeless that they cannot come to Jesus for mercy and find forgiveness and eternal life even in the 11th hour. We talked Wednesday night with those of you in prayer meeting about this story and some of the things that we learn from this story and, and we can talk about from this story. And one of those things that I think this story teaches us is that people can come to faith in Christ at the last moment. This is, if you will, a deathbed conversion, though he wasn't on a bed. But it was a deathbed conversion. He had lived his life. He was moments, minutes, hours away from death. He was not surviving this crucifixion. They were going to make sure he died. So in his last breath, in his last moments, he cries out to Jesus, remember me. Then Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Hear me, church. No one is beyond God's saving grace. And even in their last breaths, if someone who has lived their entire life as a wretched reprobate, in the last moments, if they cry out to Jesus, Jesus will save them. But let me give you a word of caution. There's a really good statement that in every sermon, every commentary I read alluded to a statement. It's attributed to a Puritan and it says this, there is one such case recorded, the case of this dying thief, there is one such case recorded that none need despair, but only one in Scripture that none might presume. Is deathbed conversions possible? Absolutely. Do they happen very often? Not from my experience. So yes, there is a moment if you come to your last breath, and you cry out to Jesus to be saved, He will save you. But here's our experience. If you live like a sinner your entire life, odds are you're going to die like a sinner. So if you don't know Jesus Christ right now, 
Don't think for a moment, I've got tomorrow, or I've got next week, or man, when I'm dying, I'll give my life to Jesus, he's got to save me. No, because odds are, if you live like in sin right now, you're going to continue to live in sin. You need to repent right now, today, this moment, give your life to Jesus. You're not promised to make it home safely. Don't play those games. As long as you have breath, give your life to Jesus. And understand, you are saved by grace alone. You don't deserve it. And here's the third thing and the thing that maybe brought me the most comfort this week is this. Our greatest hope and joy is to be with Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is our greatest hope and joy. What does Jesus say? Truly, I say to you today, you will be with what? Me. He could have just said, hey, today you'll be in paradise. That would have been nice. But he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Church, I believe the Scripture is clear. The New Testament is clear. And, and maybe not everyone in here believes this. I believe it is clear that, that when you die as a believer in Christ who has given their life to Jesus, you are with Jesus immediately when you die. You take your final breath here, and then you are with Jesus in heaven. Right? That is good news. So based upon this story, based upon the words of Jesus, there's no purgatory. Based upon the words of Jesus, there is no soul sleep. Some people believe in soul sleep. You die, your soul sleeps, and eventually you go to be with Jesus. What does Paul say? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I have a really good friend, and he's uncertain about what happens exactly when you die. He, he sort of believes in soul sleep. And so you talk about that. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. He's like, well, I don't know if that's really what it means. And so I think what's even more convincing is Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. Here's what Paul says. I'm hard-pressed between the two, meaning to live here on earth or to die. He's hard-pressed between the two. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better if Paul believed that when he died and he departed this world, he just went into soul sleep, I don't think he would have said, that's much better. Like, okay, eventually we'll get to the better part, but he's just asleep for a while. And so what does he say? I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Jesus Christ is the great treasure of the believer. He's our treasure. Jesus said, John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. There was a dying girl. She was wanting to be comforted by her mother. So her mother, seeing that her daughter was in a little bit of distress, knowing that she was dying, her mom began to describe paradise and what paradise would be like. She said to the child, Oh, sweetie, when you get to paradise, there will be no pains and there will be no sickness. She said, oh, honey, when you get to paradise, you'll see your brother and your sister who've gone before you. She said, oh, sweetie, when you get to paradise, you'll be happy forever. The little girl said, ah, mom, that's good. But there's one thing better than all, and that is Christ will be there. Christ will be there, and that is better than anything else. Look, I don't travel very often without Ryan and, and the kids, but when I do travel, I'm like a day in, right, and I start to get homesick. I'm ready to be back home. And so I may be talking to somebody, and I may say, hey, I can't wait to get home again. Now, when I say I can't wait to get home again, what do I mean? 
Do I mean that I've missed the carpet? That I've missed the walls of my house? Like when I walk in, I'm like, oh, curtains, I've missed you. Right? Is that what we mean when we say, I can't wait to get home? What do I mean by that? When I say, I can't wait to get home, the reason I can't wait to get home is because my precious bride is there. The love of my life is there. That's why I want to come home. Church, when we talk about going home, when we talk about going to heaven, the streets of gold, they'll be nice, and all the other things will be nice. And yes, being reunited with our loved ones will be nice. But the reason we want to go home is because Jesus is there. That's why I want to go home. That's why I want Jesus to come back right now. Because I want to be with Jesus. Oh, church, I can't wait to get home. And every day, man, my heart aches for home more and more and more. Because I want Jesus. And I want you, those of you here, those of you online, I want every single one of us in this room to know I've got a home with Jesus waiting for me. Not because I'm worthy, not because I deserve it, but because of the grace and the mercy of a good, benevolent Father. And because of the words that Jesus says to this thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Jesus Christ can wash your sins away. He is mighty to save. We are saved by grace alone. And he is the greatest treasure for the believer. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Would you close your eyes, bow your head. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song, Just As I Am. Listen, I believe this message can be encouraging to the believer. It's been encouraging to me. But this, morning, this, this week I couldn't help but think about maybe the individual who would be here who doesn't know Jesus, who is lost apart from Jesus, who is on their way to hell, and what's holding you back is you think, man, Jesus couldn't love a wretch sinner like me. How could Jesus love me? How could, how could Jesus possibly forgive a sinner like me? Well, just a moment, we're going to sing a couple words to this hymn called Just As I Am. And this hymn is a reminder that you can come to Jesus just as you are. Now listen, He's not going to leave you where you are. He's going to change you. You need to know that He's going to change your life, but you come just as you are. If you cry out right now to salvation, that Jesus would save you. Jesus, save me. He will save you just as He saved this dying thief. And oh, Christian, if you are discouraged, if you're downtrodden, and just look to Jesus. He's your hope. He is your joy. Look to Him and know we have a home with Him in glory and be encouraged. Father, speak now. Maybe a word of rebuke. Maybe a word of rebuke to that sinner who thinks they don't need you, who's living in sin. Convict them. Spirit of God, move in their heart, I pray, that they would give their life to You, Jesus. But Lord, also... Bring a word of encouragement. Bring a word, bring a word of encouragement to that person who's been praying for their, their rebellious child or their, their lost spouse, wondering will they ever give their life to Jesus. God, would you encourage them? Remind them not to give up, not to stop praying, that there's still hope.
for that person that is weighing heavy upon their heart. Bring a word of encouragement, Lord, to those of us who just look at the world around us and just think, how much longer, Jesus, until you come for your bride? Those of us who are going through difficult times, difficult moments, oh, Spirit of God, just encourage us, we pray. Encourage us. Remind us of the promise that we have in Jesus. God, move move in our hearts as we sing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to ask you to stand and just worship while we sing a couple verses of this song. And, and after we're done, if you have a decision that you need to be made, I'm available. I would love to talk with you, pray with you, encourage you any way that I can. But let's sing together. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot O Lamb of God I come I come Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. I want to encourage you to uh, please pay attention to the announcements in uh, the bulletin. Don't forget, uh, you're going to spring forward next week. Woo. Spring forward. There we go. Not, uh, just a reminder about our Awana, the Grand Prix, that will also be um, next Sunday. There's also a couple announcements in there uh, about a bridal shower and then the wedding uh, for Lindsay Morris and Kenneth Playford. Uh, while uh, mentioning that, I also want you to be in prayer. Uh, Miss Lindsay is currently in uh, the hospital in Carrollton. Uh, most of you know she has battled asthma most of her life. And so in the middle of the night, she had a, a serious attack, uh, a flare up there. And so uh, she's in the hospital, may be there a couple days. Um, and so just be praying for her. Um, praying that she'll recover quickly, um, that she'll uh, that she'll get get better, and so we would just appreciate that. Bill and Debbie are actually in Florida; uh, they've been down there with with their other family, and so they're on their way back. Uh, so Kenneth is there with her. I'm gonna reach out to him as soon as church is over, see if there's any updates. Uh, but just please be in prayer for uh, Miss Lindsay. Um, again, if this is your first time with us, thank you for being here. Uh, if you filled out the guest card, I'll be out there in the back. You can hand that to me. Uh, we have all our activities tonight and this week. Pay attention to the bulletin. We love to have you to get involved in those things and the work that God is doing here at Northside. If you'll stand, David Masden is actually going to close us with a word of prayer.